Welcome back to the morning show, hour three. Got Bob Baskerville here with John Reed. Let's talk a little college basketball. Many of you may already be familiar with our next guest, uh, Chris Dorch. He's a national sports journalist and is the editor and publisher of the Blue Ribbon College Basketball Yearbook. To me, that's the Bible for hardcore college hoops fans. Also, recently he was announced to be honored at this year's Final Four as an inductee into the U.S. Basketball Writers Association Hall of Fame. So we've got some... uh, some journalistic royalty here today. Chris, thank you for joining us, my friend. Congratulations on that honor, and welcome to the morning show. Well, thanks. I appreciate that introduction, and uh, I'll tell you, I was really surprised to to get that uh, Hall of Fame honor, but it, it's always uh, cool when they come. So uh, looking forward to that trip to Phoenix to pick that award up. Yeah, that's, that's, that's awesome. So... Let's start on kind of a broad scope. I'd love to get your kind of state of the state in college basketball. We've seen a couple of really big moments in the last couple of weeks. At one point in a 24-hour span, we we saw four of the top five ranked teams lose. Doesn't happen that often. There was a week where I believe 21 of the top 25 ranked teams had losses. Latest bracketology forecasts uh, show that the mighty, once mighty ACC only sending maybe three teams to the big dance, while it appears conference realignment will make the Big 12 even stronger next season than it already is. Dangerous mid-major schools everywhere you look. This stat I found very interesting. 45 teams, different teams, have occupied this season's AP Top 25, which is the fourth most in poll history. To me, it feels more and more like the world of college basketball has become kind of flat. And I mean that in a good way, but it, it, there's so much positive parity. I'd just love to get your thoughts on that and maybe some of the reasons behind it. Is it transfer portal, NIL? Is it the, the dawn of conference realignment? What do you think is, is making this such a competitive sport across the board now? Well, first of all, good job doing your homework. Uh, uh, you definitely had the the numbers, which I think, you know, that a lot of people say the statistics don't lie, and sometimes they can be misleading, but yet some of those hard facts that you laid out, like the number of uh, top five teams losing and the number of different teams in the poll, that definitely suggests there's parity. I've thought for years that, and, and this goes back a long way now because, I remember when the three-point goal was first being experimented with in the Southern Conference, which I went to a Southern Conference school, East Tennessee State, so was able to be around for that and, and, and see the impact that it had on the game. And I didn't like it at first, but I, it, it really grew on me, and I think that was, that was a game-changer. And then uh, the shot clock was a game-changer. And then people started to kind of get – used to those things uh, the upper majors maybe maybe recovered and then the only place where you really saw upsets of consequence uh, were in the NCAAs and now it's just become uh, I don't know if you look at let's say South Carolina for example they're not a mid-major but there was no way that you could have convinced me preseason that at this point in the year they would be 16 and three, whatever it is, four and three uh, 
in the SEC and just be Kentucky. Uh, there's no way you would have convinced me of that. But then, you know, if you look at what South Carolina's done, what Georgia's done, to a lesser extent, what LSU has done, uh, they were able to get transfers. And I've talked to a lot of coaches who don't like it, and uh, they say uh, the, the, the word du jour in editing Blue Ribbon this year was speed dating. Uh, usually it's Swiss Army Knife. Uh, that's the cliche most often used by coaches in our uh, uh, interviews with all 350-some-odd of them, but it was speed dating this time. And they likened the process of recruiting the portal to speed dating because, as you guys know, usually it takes a year or two to build a relationship with a player and their family and everybody and all their advisors and key people in their in their group and in the portal that's reduced to a couple of weeks and it's funny my phone blows up off the hook every march now uh coaching buddies of mine wanting to know it it used to just be about jobs knowing what i'd heard about open jobs or whatever and now it's about hey have you heard about this kid or do you know anybody that knows this kid or whatever they're trying to get good intel because it's not just about the numbers, it's about the fit. And you're right, I, I, I think that parity has come because uh, of the sheer number of transfers, and then uh, people are figuring out how to make uh, this disparate group of newcomers fit. And uh, the ones that have done the best jobs are the ones that are making the headlines right now. That mob at, at, at South Carolina Last night, they tried everything they could uh, to prevent that court storm. But, I mean, in literally, you, you, you blink your eyes, and that court was jammed. And, uh, and he's got guys that played in the Southern Conference. They're not, they weren't four- and five-star people that Kentucky always gets. So now they're being able to get players out of the portal that have established themselves, that are older, experienced, and – those are the ones, if you look, traditionally have done well uh, in, in postseason play. Only now we're seeing it during the season. Well, you talk about Kentucky and South Carolina. Like Kentucky is teetering on a borderline 100th-ranked defense. And you've kind of seen this season, especially in conference play, teams score a lot of points on them. What has happened is it Coach Cal just uh, you know getting different guys in there that and prioritizing offense and and you know maybe not having any of the grinders if you will that want to play defense or is it just a uh, a hot shooting start for these teams against them but like it doesn't seem sustainable for Kentucky. Well, you're right. I don't think that's a sustainable. And I really I know I'm on a show based out of Knoxville, and I and I don't want to say it just because I am, but if you look at the model that that Tennessee has become, uh, they've learned to use uh, embrace the portal, sure enough, but they're largely a, a freshman dominated program, and over the years, you know, guys like uh, Vescovy and and uh, Josiah Jordan James, people like that pass along the knowledge that they've learned. And if you look at this Kentucky team, I mean, there was a time, 
I, I don't know, as late as June or July when, when I didn't think we would even rank Kentucky, even though uh, preseason, even though they had all those five-star freshmen. Because Antonio Reeves was rumored to be taking summer classes at Illinois State and not coming back. and Of course, that was before uh, Bob Huggins took his ill-fated midnight drive past the Taylor Swift concert and and then uh, stocked the roster of a couple of uh, or augmented the roster of a couple of uh, SEC schools because of it, Trey Mitchell being the one at Kentucky. and But they had no veteran guys. And uh, defense is not, I don't think, something you were born with. That, that's an acquired taste, if you will. And uh, it, it just takes a while to learn how to play it well. And I was just thinking this last night. Uh, so many games that I've watched this year where people don't play defense with the effort and the precision that Tennessee does. And Houston is one that does. But if you look at the ones that do, they expend a lot of effort. And sure, they're not immune to upsets. Uh, Tennessee uh, got beat at Mississippi State because they weren't able to defend Tolu Smith. I mean, somebody's always going to go off on you, I suppose. But, yeah, Kentucky just doesn't guard the basketball. It's it's ironic because it used to be their, their big problem was, well, he doesn't get enough jump shooters. And now the year when he's got enough jump shooters and they can score the basketball, they can't keep others from doing it. So uh, they're sort of betwixt in between. I, I know the big uh, Blue Nation are bombed. Every time I think that they're capable of winning the national championship, and just yesterday the Athletic came out with a big article and anointed uh, uh, Kentucky and Tennessee, by the way, as one of the six teams they thought could win it all, uh, the very same night they go to South Carolina and lose. So uh, it's dangerous on the road and even more so in a league like the SEC and now even more so when, when you got the portal on NIL allowing teams to reshape uh, rosters literally within weeks. We're here with uh, Chris Dorch from uh, Blue Ribbon Basketball. Uh, hey, Chris, you, you mentioned Tennessee, and I think this is a good time when we talk about uh, defense and all of that. We're in When we talk about Tennessee, we are seeing right in front of our eyes what's been historically a defense-first team now become closer to equal parts, offense and defense, and that's quite different than what we've seen in at least previous Rick Barnes teams in the last few years. Obviously, Dalton Connect is a game changer, but um, do you see other things or learned from your discussions with Coach Barnes, things that have changed with this team? We had Coach Barnes on the show a couple of weeks ago, and he talked about this a little bit um, in terms of you know spacing and being a little more – you know. Uh, open-minded from his perspective on, you know, shots. And I'm just curious uh, what your perception on all that is. You know, that's a great question. And, and over the years, he and I talk a lot on the phone on, on in March. It's about a lot of things. You know, he'll just sound my opinion out about jobs, maybe that his assistants might be looking for or players or whatever. And, and we talk basketball philosophy and, you know, I, I told you that uh, years ago I wasn't a proponent of the 
three-point goal, but I, you know, I'm I'm its biggest proponent now. If you look at teams like Villanova, which won it twice, and UConn, which won it last year, handily, you know, by double figures each game. And uh, I remember talking to Rick last year, and I said, you know, and his goal, if lest anybody thinks that he ever that he went escaped to Tennessee uh, to retire or whatever, they don't know the man. His goal is always to play on the last Monday. And I don't have to tell you what the last Monday means. And he says as he's gotten older, he's he's wanted to play faster and uh, with more offensive efficiency. And the the trick to that, and, and I, I remember I had this exact conversation last uh, spring. I, I said, Coach, I'm going to send you UConn's top eight. Uh, and, and but just their three point stats, and six of them shot high thirties to low forties from three. And I said, times have changed. You know, it, it used to be coaches wanted length and athleticism so they could guard. Now you you've got to have four or five gunslingers that can blow people out or get you back in games when you've fallen behind. And it just makes it so, so much easier. And people criticize his defense and stuff, I mean his offense, but if you look at the at, at the, um, the, uh, the screening action that goes on, I sent uh, Fran Fraschilla a, um, a clip of, of a free screen action that, it took to get Dalton uh, connect an open shot in the right corner out of bounds play in the Georgia game. And he has, uh, he's got a gizmo that, that he uh, is able to use for free in exchange for mentioning the company's name. I forget. It's a, an international company. And he actually took that play and, and drew it up, you know, highlighted everything. And, and it was, Triple screen. It was screen the screener, uh, and and gets him in the corner. The other day, I noticed a an action where uh, Dalton Connect took off into the lane, followed by his uh, man, took back out of the lane to the same place he he went. Only that, uh, on his way back, he was met on a with a back pick by Jonas Adu, and wide open shot. So. There's way more screening action than people know uh, or notice. Last year, uh, they led NCAA in jump shots off screens uh, by a large margin over anybody else in the country. So uh, it was just a matter of getting people who could make shots consistently. And they went to the portal. They were able to get that. Uh, I do think Justin Ganey has got his mojo back and, He's going to be a, uh, I mean, Jordan Ganey, um, going to be a huge, huge help uh, along with Connect. And I think Vescovy, who hasn't shot the ball particularly well by his standards, will shoot it better. And then what they've done with, with Adu, I mean, they can coach offense there. Let's put it that way. And Coach just realized, you know, I mean, he, He's a smart guy. He'll forget. Uh, he's forgotten more than I'll ever know. But 
just in conversations like with people like me and and coaches around the country, you just finally realize these people are right. Uh, Danny Hurley didn't break a sweat in winning at all last year. I got to have some some gunners. So they went out and got some, and it it wasn't difficult in in the process because one is the son of of his associate head coach, so they knew that kid's character. And Dalton Connect, they knew uh, by his background, and he still keeps in contact with his JUCO coaches. It was easy to find out that he's a worker and that he had one weakness that he knew could shore up uh, uh, under Rick Barnes' uh, guidance, and that was defense. And now... It's an unbelievable stat, but he's in the top 10 percentile in points per percentage allowed uh, on, on guys that he guards. And last year, uh, it, it was way higher than that. So he's learned, and, and, and yet at the same time, given them a, a huge weapon. And if they could just get a couple of the freshmen, and I think they're close to that now, where they can trust them, he would like to use a 10-man rotation. He would like to play Dalton Connect maybe a minute or two less and, and Zakai Ziegler maybe a minute or two less. And I think if Freddie DeLeon and, and uh, uh, maybe J.P. Estrella are able to continue to give four to five, eight minutes a game uh, of consistent play where Rick can trust them not to make mistakes, this is a team that's got a tremendous upside. As good as they've played so far, they can get better. Chris Dortch, Blue Ribbon College Basketball Yearbook. You talk about Tennessee's offense, and, and Tennessee fans would push back and say, yeah, but March, yeah, but the tournament. I ask you, do you think this is the year Tennessee busts through and at least gets to the Elite Eight under Rick Barnes? I think so. I, I've got something that I always tell people, guys. You'd have never asked me that question were it not for two blown defensive plays at the ends of NCAA games in 18 and 19. I'm not going to mention the players' names because they, they they heard over it, but there was a missed uh, um, uh, guard assignment. A little kid from Loyola hits it at the buzzer. Uh, they win. They go on to the Final Four. The next year, uh, Carson Edwards uh, for Purdue is fouled in, in the right corner with a desperation three that falls hopelessly short. He hits enough free throws to get it in overtime where they lose to Purdue. That was for a trip to the Elite Eight. So theoretically, there's a couple of spots to the Elite Eight or Final Four in a row. And who knows, once you get to the Final Four, what happens? Nobody's talking about that. Last year, People just magically forgot that Zakai Ziegler was out. Uh, the one team that Rick uh, feared most in that regional was FAU because they played four guards. And without Zakai, they could be pressured. And that's exactly what happened. So I'm not trying to make excuses, but a, a wise old coach taught me when I, when I was a punk uh, college sports writer to look at the game from the coach's point of view and it's a, it's a little rougher where they sit. And Tennessee is a lot closer to consistent deep runs in the NCAA when you talk about 18, those 18-19 teams were capable of maybe 
going all the way. One busted play each year. So I do think that, that they've got what it takes. Uh, I think they've, he has finally convinced people that they've got to use the middle third of the floor and get the ball in the post, and they can cut off a do. And admittedly, here's, here's the one thing that, that if, if I were to be critical – uh, of Rick's time here. They, they, they have had traditionally not good luck recruiting bigs. Uh, that is gone now. When they got Adu, uh, they got a guy with with limitless potential. And now he's starting to realize that. And you, you mix him with a couple of jump shooters and, and a renewed emphasis on the fast break and, and spacing and playing quickly. Um, it's a formidable team, I think. Yeah. Hey, listen, uh, Chris, we can't thank you enough for your time today and your insight because um, you get to see a lot of basketball, and it's good to put some of this stuff in perspective, too, for uh, the fans, uh, us included, that are closer, super close to uh, our team in Knoxville. Tell the listeners how to follow you and how to learn uh, a little more about Blue Ribbon Basketball Yearbook. Well, um, it's blueribbonyearbook.com, and um, yeah, we're still selling the book. Uh, I mailed out a couple yesterday. Uh, it's it's uh, helpful from the beginning of the season to the end, so blueribbonyearbook.com. And then uh, my partner, Kevin Ingram, who is the radio voice of Vanderbilt, and I have a podcast uh, that comes out once a week. You can get it on Apple or wherever you get your podcast. It's Real original name, uh, the the Blue Ribbon College Basketball Podcast. So uh, there you go. You can check in with us there, and and uh, we we don't do the hot takes stuff. We just try to talk basketball and and, and keep it real. Appreciate Excellent. you, Chris. Hey, man, thank you so much. Oh, enjoyed it, guys. See you, Chris. All right, let's uh, let's go catch a timeout. We'll come back. Stick with us. It's the morning show here on Fan Run Radio. It definitely came off uh, as excuses. I, I wanted to tell Chris the excuses for, for Tennessee's shortcomings in the tournament. I know you can talk about one play here and there in every game, and like I, I'm not bashing. Rick Barnes for it, but like you, you can't tell me that they're blown defensive assignments. Like you, you can't explain away Rick Barnes's struggles in March. I mean, I, I think that's fair. I think we, I think if you're gonna be talking about his greatness and how the good things he does, I, I think it's okay to also mention that like even going back to his last maybe decade at Texas, like I mean, it hasn't translated to the postseason for whatever reason. You could say it's bad luck, that's fine, but like. I don't know. It came across as excuses. So something happens to, to Tennessee basketball, and at the end of, of Texas's basketball, something happened to them in March every year. Like, were they tough losses? Sure, but every loss in the tournament is going to be tough. Yeah, except maybe the Oregon State game. I just remain hopeful that you know we're, we're we we heard it from Chris. We heard it yesterday from Grant Ramey. We even heard it from Coach Barnes. Let's hope that it's intentional, and that is. Um, 
there's I think there's a different mindset on what they're trying to do. I, I don't worry about them on defense, quite honestly. Uh, it's more like, can you continue to evolve the offense? And Dalton Connect cures a lot of ills, but there's, you know, you need other guys to hit shots too. And, you know, that's that's going to be the thing everybody's going to be watching closely as we trend towards March. It is. It has always been about the offense for Tennessee when it comes to shortcomings. It's always been the offense kind of holding them back. I think Tennessee has the best offensive player they've ever had. I think Tennessee basketball is best equipped for tournament success than they've ever been. And does that mean that it's necessarily going to happen? No. You could run into more bad luck. But I will say that there have been offensive struggles that have kept Tennessee from reaching their potential or breaking through and making Elite Eights and Final Fours. It's not always just a blown defensive assignment, as he called it. Like, sure, maybe maybe uh, Lamonte Turner don't don't foul Carson Edwards and you win that game, sure. But also, if the offense is a little bit better, maybe you're not in that position. And then, of course, there's other games. Like, I know FAU had four guards that could pressure the ball. That's fine. Tennessee also couldn't hit a shot and create any offense no. to punish them. Although I would say those guards from FAU, the other thing that benefited them in that game, as I recall it, was the way they they worked their the ball and the way they got they got all the long rebounds. Sure. And, and and that just you could just feel Tennessee was on their heels constantly. Uh, that was one of the few games I've seen where Tennessee I felt like they were almost by the pace of the game they were almost undermanned defensively. It was a weird it was such a weird game. Well, I would say that's probably because you had. A complete zero out there playing a lot of minutes in your Roche. Yeah. Like I mean, I think like, yeah. if you're going to be, if you're going to be big, slow, and dumb on the court, not calling him dumb in real life, but I mean the the dumb plays he had in the game. Yeah. If you're going to be big, slow, and dumb on the court, you, you got to rebound at least. And he wasn't rebounding. Like you, you can't get beat up on the glass. But I say all that to say that I do think this team is best equipped for success, and I do think it, it's because of the offensive philosophy change. And I do think the offense is is better equipped to handle March. He, he referenced that six-team list of teams that could win a national championship. And, yeah, Tennessee's on it, along with two other SEC schools, Kentucky, Auburn, North Carolina, Connecticut, and Purdue. Those are the teams that the Athletics says can win a national championship. Surprised they don't have Houston there, but, you know, I, I guess Houston, I watched a little of them last night. That is a That is not a – enjoyable team to watch again they just kind of work you over defensively and get enough offense to win stats by will told me that he thinks they're too erratic and that they can win four games but not six like they can make the final four he's like but they're not consistent enough offensively and and don't shoot the ball good enough to to win it all and they're small yeah too. that's the other thing well that's a part of like being small like you you can maybe make a run to the final four but eventually that's going to catch up to you on one of those games yeah definitely all right, let's spice it up. Bob, I didn't tell you about this. I called an audible, but Sam's got uh, an overrated, underrated topic. We're going to do a little list of that, maybe branch out a little bit on sports to get us through the end of the show a little bit. Sam, you got the list. You got the intro. You got an intro ready or all? No intro. But never mind. <laughs> never mind. Uh, let's play some overrated, Man, underrated. Sam, you get traffic right, and you think you can just coast now, right? Well, I forgot to tell you that there is an intro in there. I was just going to steal it from my last radio show and just roll it over. It would work, but... Let's spice it up because we need to shift gears, uh, get some energy back in the building. All right. It's uh, it's a hot topic among the, the White Claw Heart Seltzer Studios right here with you, John. Overrated, underrated. John Calipari is a head coach. 
John Calipari as a head coach. Bob, overrated or underrated? As much as it pains me to say it, current day Cal, I would say, I'd actually say underrated. And I've got some friends who are Kentucky fans who hate him at this point. Um, but I, I actually think about where they were at the beginning, the, the preseason this year. It, everybody was like, they couldn't get anybody to play there. I mean, they had the freshmen coming in, and that was it. Antonio Reeves was still bouncing back and forth. They got Trey Mitchell from West Virginia, didn't know what to expect with him. And then here they are. They lost last night handily, but they're sixth-ranked team in the country. So I, I, you don't, that just doesn't happen by luck. Um, I, so I think, he's, I think he's gotten a little bit underrated at the moment. Yeah, that's a good point about like his current status because I, I do think a lot of people have kind of written him off. But with that being said, I find that to be properly rated. Like I, I just think this – maybe, maybe it's the style of basketball we play now. Maybe there is no more room for a team that's relying just on freshmen because in the transfer portal era, every team can have veterans on it now and like – you know, you can basically reload with proven guys. You know, you talked about South Carolina having SoCon guys. That's fine. But in basketball, it's not the same as football. In, in football, you can't take the, the SoCon guys and compete. You, you need SEC. You need five stars on your lines. In basketball, you don't need that. In basketball, you need one guy who can fill it up and some guys that can play defense and pass the ball. And Calipari hasn't adjusted to that, and I think there's a reason he has been struggling so much. So at this point, I'll say he's properly rated as over the hill. Okay. Uh, next one up here, getting into the uh, into the swing of this morning show. Overrated, underrated, early mornings. i got to say uh, people love early mornings that actually do them. So far, I haven't seen any uh, residual effect. I haven't, okay. <laughs> I haven't all of a sudden started waking up early and I see life differently and and I haven't all of a sudden unlocked the keys to the day. My day's been pretty much the same, except now, Sam, when I get off the show, I sit at that desk for a little bit, like 15 minutes or so, and like hold my head and like go through my phone and look at like what I've missed since I've been on the air. And then I go eat lunch, and then I just kind of had the same routine. So, so far for me, early mornings have been very overrated. Okay. Now, maybe if I get to the point where I'm like at 4.30, cup of coffee, yeah. overlooking – Maybe I buy some land. A little and I'm reflection. Some land. Yeah, like if I was back on the farm or something, like just sit there meditating. Maybe I change my mind. But for now, it's been like alarm goes off. I wake up. I think to myself, "Man, why am I? Why did I agree to do this? This is dumb." And then I get up and I brush my teeth and I, I drive to the studio. And then my day is the same otherwise. Okay, Bob. It it it's two things for me. I I think it's um. I actually think it's underrated. I like having, and I think part of this, what you're going through, is attributable to the time of year we're in. Yeah, it doesn't help that it's January. Yeah, I think once we get to spring and summer, you, this is going to feel good. I'm telling you, in terms of when you get done and you got the rest of your day, and the weather's nice, and so that I I I would say underrated. However, the impact that it's had on my night before stay up time that's that's been a problem. Mm -hmm. I'm still adjusting from that. So. Uh, because I like I'm, a, I'm more of a night owl than I'm than I'm not, and this doesn't allow you to do that really. I've stayed up till midnight basically since like sixth grade. Like since I started watching college basketball, and like you know you watch those nine o'clock games and then Sports Center after. And I remember just staring at the clock every night, like in sixth grade, just my alarm clock twelve thirty. Like oh man, gotta get up in the morning. And since then, I've been a night owl. So 
it hasn't really kept me from being up till midnight yet, which is a problem because eventually I'm going to look around. My bicycle will be like, "Where's the sleep, bro?" Yeah. So I'm a little worried about that. But good point about the spring. Uh, maybe maybe when the sun starts coming up earlier, this will feel better. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Uh, overrated, underrated NBA All Star Weekend skills challenges, All Star Game included. Yeah, I'll go just overrated. Although, like at this point, people don't rate it highly at all. Yeah. I do want to go to one. To like see the celebrities, see if it's and like in be in the building, yeah. But like, I don't want to be the guy that complains about the dunk contest because at this point I'm over complaining about the dunk contest. I think the problem is dunks just don't move us anymore. Like I think, I'm sure dunk contests were cool in the '90s and '80s, whenever a stars were in them. But b like, you are seeing some of these for the first time. But like, the internet has ruined the dunk contest because. And one mixtapes and people dunking on YouTube and highlights in game of people dunking. There's no more appeal to it. Like the best thing they got is like, hey, here's a three point shootout, but I don't need to see that. I'm actually thinking about going. Really? To the well, because it's up in my hometown, right. and you know that won't happen again anytime soon. And uh, but this is where I'm torn on it because I do think I, I think it's a tale of two cities with All Star Weekend. I think the Sunday game is so overrated. I don't even pay attention to it. The Saturday night skills stuff um, I like, but it's primarily because I watch the television feed and I love to hear the inside the NBA guys talk and talk trash and yeah. all that and make fun of some of the bad dunks and that. So if I go to that, I'm not sure that's going to be that good of an experience. You know, it's more fun watching it. Yeah, on you TV. might you might be right about that. I hadn't really considered that. I just kind of want to go and feel the energy. But you're right, like watching someone pass a ball through a hoop or dribble up down the court might not necessarily have the most energy to it. Yeah. See, I, I still like the Sunday game the best, though. Really? I, I still like the actual game the best. Like, I know they haven't got it perfected. You know, the year after Kobe died, you actually got, like, a good game, a good ending. I think they were kind of trying to honor him, and, like, you know, they tried. They did the new uh, Sterikin rule or whatever it is where you get the, the point you're going to instead of a clock, and – that's helped oh, some. Like, like an Elam ending. Type Elam ending. Thing. Yeah, I don't yeah. know what I called it, but yeah, the I don't know that was Stableford. You're thinking of golf. Maybe. I don't know what the hell I was thinking of. But <laughs> yeah, the Elam ending. Sorry. Yeah, like to, to get the target goal and like, you know, have something you're aiming for, change things a little bit. But I don't know. I still watch, like watching the players get out there together and just, you know, 10 of the best basketball players in the world on the court at I, the same time. Like I, That's still cool to me. I'll retract it a little. I will say maybe the first five minutes of game minutes I love watching because it's just a showcase. People are trying to blow. You know, remember Tracy McGrady when he yeah. uh, did that a while back? But then, yeah, like 20 years ago. Yeah, but <laughs> but the game itself, you know, then I then I tune out because next thing you know, you look and it's like 130 to 125 in the third quarter. And, you know, it's – I do kind of wish they'd bring back East versus West. Yeah. Let's get some conference pride on the line. I agree with that. I don't want to see Team LeBron versus Team Giannis. I want to see East versus West and, and like, have some guys out there that maybe, like, you know, it'd be kind of cool if all of a sudden, like, at the end of the game, at the All-Star game, it's Jokic versus Embiid. What about? And you're looking around like, hey, it's going to be a finals, you know, a finals preview, and, like, they actually maybe take it a little seriously at the end. What if they implemented the uh, the NHL All-Star game format where they do, like, a round robin of, like, division versus division, basically? And yeah, like shorten the game and just do like a yeah, quarter, basically. It, yeah, it's basically like you played. I don't know, like they played a thirty or forty or something like that, and you'd get like a division versus another division. They give a, a, a big a cash prize or anything to the winner of it uh, in the NHL. They do. How yeah. much do they give? Do you know? Uh, it's like a million or something like that. See, I, I feel like that helps in the NHL because the salaries are just not near as Correct, high, yeah. right? Like the best played, the best paid players in the NHL still make like what twelve million dollars somewhere around there, like. 
Not nearly enough for right, what but like in, their body in, through. in the NBA, pretty much everybody in the All Star game is already making thirty, forty yeah. million dollars. So like, I don't know how much they're going to care about a splitting a two hundred thousand dollars at the end of the night. Like, I, I don't know. I don't know. You got any other topics? Uh, overrated, underrated. Here we'll go a little bit uh, off the beaten path. Brunch. Bob, you're a brunch guy. Um, uh, that's a tough one. I was going to say I could take it or leave it. Honestly, um. I think it's overrated. I like going to brunch. I just never do it. But, like, uh, the only time I want to go to brunch is when, like, it's starting, like, a a longer day. Like, if you tell me, hey, we're about to do a a full day of day drinking, I'm like, okay, we'll get some mimosas flowing at, like, 11 a.m. Otherwise, brunch is completely overrated because you're taking foods that can either be breakfast or lunch. You know, that's the idea. And you're just either overcharging for them or giving you smaller portions. And I'd rather just get me some biscuits and gravy in the morning yeah. and pancakes and waffles and all that, or just wait and get me like a burger and fries or wings, you know, wait like 45 minutes. The only time I like brunch is if it's kicking off a day full of festivity. So I got to go overrated for brunch. And my theory on brunch too is because there's some where it's like an all you can eat. It's, it's sometimes it's just viewed as permission to just eat like a pig. And I don't want to do that either. So used to be that way. I loved it, but not anymore. You a brunch guy? This Hate brunch, honestly. Your generation has like do do, do do your friends like brunch? Has that happened yet, or is, does uh, it yeah. click in? No, yeah. Does it click in maybe like when you get a little bit older? Like you're still a little too young for brunch, but maybe when you get 26, that's like prime brunching age. I don't know. I think people do like brunch my age still. I'm just not a like you said, John. I'm right there with you. I'd rather like cook my own food or something like that. Like I'd rather do a, just give me a biscuit from Hardy. Give bro. me like a tailgate brunch. I don't want like a restaurant brunch. Okay. You know, like I like a good a good spread on like a blackstone or something like that and you got some you know, a bunch of different things being made on a blackstone. on the griddle. Wow. It's pretty uh it's a little sophisticated, Sam. Talking blackstone. Some, now. some of these college kids come from money, Bob. That's some right. of these college kids come from <laughs> I money. don't have one, but I wish I did. <laughs> you got friends with one, I guess. <laughs> yeah, I do. <laughs> All right, yeah, a little curveball, get some energy back in there, uh, try to wake back up. Ten AM Coming at us soon. I gotta get some coffee. Gotta this 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 waking up, man. It's killing me. I've been struggling all day. I yawned for the first twenty minutes when I got in the studio, trying to get through the afternoon. Overrated, underrated coffee. I don't ever drink it. <laughs> I know you don't. I don't ever drink it. I, I've Neither never. I. I've never had a cup. I've You've taken, never had a cup of. Coffee? I've taken a sip. A full one though. You have a full, full sip. No, I've never had a, a full, full cup. Yeah, maybe maybe I just like started with my my dad had just the straight black coffee. The little cream. I was yeah. like, that's terrible. Yeah. Also, don't like hot stuff too much. So, like, I'm kind of fighting uphill for coffee, but I don't like hot coffee. I'll have the occasional iced coffee, but then that's all milked up and flavored up and sugared up, and you know, it's then it's that's probably not great for me. So, but I was like, I made it this long without it, so I'm not gonna get started. Yeah, it's kind of a good, it's kind of a unique portion of your your personality. You know, I feel like every. Everyone's like, oh, yeah, I drink coffee in the morning. But if you can be the person that's like, yeah, I just wake up and go. And I, I did think I might have to, like, do caffeine in the morning, like some soda. But, like, I, I'm holding strong on my no soda before the show or during the show. I haven't done that. Just some water. And I feel like for the most days my energy has been pretty good. And, like, I haven't been, like, tired after the show either. So maybe this all catches up to me eventually, you know, the four or five hours of sleep followed by this. But <laughs> – for now, I'm okay. We'll come in one morning. You'll be face down on the floor in the <laughs> lobby area. Yeah. Just like, hey, what happened to John? Yeah. <laughs> no uh, caffeine. 
I will say it was the latest I got here at the station this morning. It was like 6.45 before I rolled in. So, I, I got here late myself, yeah. and I was surprised that the gate was yeah. locked. We were all locked in at 6.30 for a while. <laughs> 6.45 today. So, All right, Sam, send us a break. It's the morning show here on Fan Run Radio. It is nice to have someone come on and defend Rick Barnes because I do think he kind of gets forgotten about uh, from time to time when it comes to the elite coaches in college basketball. But I do think that's in part because he hasn't had a breakthrough season. You know, the casual basketball fans, they pay attention to March. And, you know, for the last 15 years, the conversation around him has been like, hey, he doesn't succeed in March. Now here, you know, we've talked about yesterday, you know, I mean, how many weeks we've spent in the top 10 here at Tennessee. Like, I think Tennessee is a top 10 basketball program, and that is all because of Rick Barnes. But then you sent me this, this list of eight coaches that I guess are people are, are, people are calling the top eight coaches in college basketball, and who would you pick if you could pick two coaches? And some of the names on the list being on there and not Rick Barnes is maybe a little frustrating. I don't know. You got the list in front of you, Bob? I do. Um, so the list, there's some of the usual suspects that you would expect to see there. You know, Bill Self, Calipari, Rick Patino, uh, Danny Hurley, who I guess belongs there now. He's one of Natty. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Bruce Pearl, um, Kelvin Sampson, Mark Few. And the eighth one is Matt Painter. And that one gave me pause. And I know you guys are, you know – always call me a Purdue homer, but I, I find it questionable. No, no, I'll call you Boilermaker Bob. Well, whatever. Yeah, the point is that I, I think it's questionable he's on here, even ahead of, you know, some of the comments on this post that was on X was, what about Rick Barnes? What about, you know, there were other names thrown out there. Um, and, you know, Painter, has, all these coaches, with the exception of Painter, have either won a national title or at least been to a Final Four. Um, Painter has not. And, you know, even, you know, we can say what we want about Barnes, but he went to a Final Four. It was, you know, 20 years ago, but he was a, he was in a Final Four. So I found that a little bit interesting. But I would ask you guys out of your out of these eight, who which two would you take if you had to pick two coaches to go to battle with? Yeah, what are we doing? Are we are we building a program and recruiting or is it just like one game sample size? Is, is the talent equal? Because like if you tell me the talent's equal, it's probably going to be for me, Kelvin Sampson and Rick Patino. Like I, I think like. I think those are probably the two best coaches. Yeah, I would say, you know, somebody that's going to build a program and, you know, sustain success. Well, see, then I'm going to take away Rick Patino for sustaining success just because A is age, but B, like, you know, he might get in trouble again. Who knows? His off-the-court stuff's a little questionable. I yeah I, my two would be uh, I like Kelvin Sampson I think he, you know tactically he might be the best coach of that whole bunch yeah and Sampson's a dog and like it, it's been really nice to see him get to Houston and like become a star again because I mean he got that Indiana job and he got it for a reason right because they thought he was going to be a star and then you know the text messaging scandal took him down just from talking to players too much which seemed kind of crazy at the time but, crazy and they'll and they've never recovered from that either that was they were going to be set with him I think but. The other coach I'd pick is Bill Self. I just think okay. he's a, he's another one of the greats of all time. Uh, Sam, any any thoughts? What would be your two? My two, I think I would go Bill Self, and I think I would take a second one that might be a little 
a little strange right now, but I think I'd go Danny Hurley right now. I think he's building a really great program over there at, at UConn and did some good things at Rhode Island too before he went over there. Won a championship and is in good position to you know be a, a threat to win it again. The Bill Self stuff, I mean, yeah, sure, if you're giving me unlimited Adidas money for him to cheat, sure. I mean, if you guys are going to let him cheat, which I did, pick, I did pick Rick Pitino, and I understand that he was involved in that scandal too, but at least Rick, you know, had proven some things before at other stops. And, and Self, yeah, I mean, so far Self's the only thing he's shown me is that he is a uh, cheater that gets away with it. One of, one of the comments that was great was if the criteria is – who do you want to go out and party with? I'm taking Mark Few and Rick Patino as the two they picked, and Patino I get. I, I, don't, I didn't. No, it surprised I, me on Few. Who the hell wants to party with Rick Patino? Yeah, you're going to end up in some 4 a.m. nightclub where he's going to have to at the end of the night crawl into his coffin as the sun comes up. I don't want to be. I don't want to be in the mix with him. And like Rick Patino seems like a jerk. I disagree vehemently with the idea of wanting to party with him. If I want to party with two guys, it's probably going to be Bruce Pearl and uh, Dan Hurley. Yeah, Dan Hurley seems like he's got a little edge to him. That well, he might, he oh, might be fun. Mark to hang. Few, yeah, and, you know? yeah. So tell me about that because I keep hearing Mark Few is. is I mean, he got DUI. Oh, I see. Yeah, yeah. Okay. I got you. Yeah. I didn't catch. I think that. it's just a DUI joke that people are making at Mark Few. Hurley will get into a fight. I'm sure of that. Oh yeah, he seems pretty intense. So the 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 bad news is for Matt Painter, no one's picking him for either thing no, to, no. to party with no. or to coach his team. So <laughs> no, he's uh, if you, if the criteria was get a great big white guy he'd be he'd be on the find road. a big circus freak matt painter is your guy but i don't want to go out at night and look for a big circus freak so matt painter is not and i'm t- not I'm, my pick. i'm telling you this kid berg is gonna fit the profile great because he's his whole left side of his body looks like it's all inked his leg his arm everything so uh now now are those the top eight coaches in college basketball i don't think so they're close but i don't think so who would you put on there? Um, Let's just say you're making it a top ten. You don't have to take anybody off, but add two more names to make it a top well, ten. This guy is his his flame is flickering, but I would say Tom Izzo's in that in that group too. Oh yeah, Tom Izzo's not. Tom Izzo didn't even make the cut. No, I think Scott Drew is pretty squarely a top yeah, eight coach in yeah, the country. Yeah, I agree with that too. Is Baylor good this year? Pretty good. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I know he won the national championship there, and like what he did to that program is is obviously like deserves you know accolades and I, recognition. I just didn't know if they had followed it up with those. Those are those are two guys that would be should be on there before Painter. Never okay. mind Barnes. I would say those two. I mean, what I will say about Painter is yes, his team's choking the postseason, and yes, lost to a 16 seed, a 15 seed, a 14 seed, and a 13 seed recently, but like. The regular season success is there. So, like, for all we say about Rick Barnes and, and the program he built and the regular season success, we kind of got to give that same, yeah, same uh, you know, credit to Matt Painter and give him that same grace. Yeah, that's fair. But those would be the two. I, that, I, I forgot all about Scott Drew, but I'd say his own Scott Drew. Um, Patino probably doesn't belong on the list anymore. I mean, right? I mean, it, yeah. It, has he proven anything at St. John's yet? I mean, I know he got – what was the school he was just at? Iona. Iona, yeah. I was going to say Albany. I was like, no, it's not Albany. Got Iona to the tournament, but, like, has he, has he done anything at St. John's so far? Uh, I guess they are at number 41 in the net ranking. So they're they, solid, but I feel yeah. like he kind of just gets propped up. Like, I would put – 12 and 7, two quad one wins. I'd take Tommy Lloyd in Arizona in the top eight right now, too. In the top eight? Yeah. I so, so, over – so, you're over – 
Who are you taking out from the ten names we mentioned so far, and, and add Barnes in there at eleven? Um, Who are you knocking out of your top eleven? I would take. I honestly think I would take Tommy Lloyd over Mark Few. Okay. Yeah. That seems... I think Tommy Lloyd is a huge reason why Gonzaga was, you know, recruiting at such a high level when he was still there. Okay. I think you've seen Gonzaga kind of take a little bit of a drop off since Tommy Lloyd's left there. No, I haven't seen it because Gonzaga's been a complete non-factor this season. Like I haven't seen it, which I mean I know that's your point. So yes, I, I have seen it, but like Gonzaga's just kind of a non-factor this year. There's there's all those other variable guys too. I mean Jim Laranega is a great coach. You sure. Know, two Final Fours. Um, you know, rebuilt the Miami program. Um, I still think the sample size is too soon on Chris Beard, and I'm not talking about personal stuff. I'm talking about as a coach. He did get Texas Tech to a championship game, but and he's highly regarded, but I still think he needs like to maybe log more hours, so to speak. But there's a there's a lot in that mid range, you know. There's people who love Dana Altman at Oregon, you know, who you know. The, the, there's there's a lot of good coaches, but um, I I still just found it curious more than anything about like why someone like Painter ended up there, and like you said, great regular season experience and and success, but I just I don't get it. Well, the top. 10 teams we talked about yesterday that had spent so much time in the top 10 like a lot of those coaches are in there true but not rick barnes rick barnes doesn't i guess deserve that uh those accolades hey what about uga x i saw your mm-hmm. comments yesterday that was look anybody that's listening to me on the radio knows my feelings <laughs> on on english bulldogs i think they are a slap to god in god's face i think that whenever you start genetically mutating things you're you're playing with fire, and and sometimes when you genetically mutate things, you're trying to make them better. I understand the idea of forced evolution, but that is devolution. You, you cannot look at an English bulldog and what's happened to them and their 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 face and all their health issues, and, and you can't make the case to me that that's a good thing. So, on one hand, Uga, whatever his name was, the whatever Q or whatever, he lived a long time in Bulldog Land. He made it ten years with the best possible carry probably could receive because. You know, otherwise, usually those those inbred albatrosses uh, they they die. You know, within seven or eight years. So he did have a good run, but I did like that. Peta came and dunked on his casket. They they danced on that his casket. That was crazy. That was crazy. Peta's yeah. like, we we mourn the loss, but let this be a reminder that these these flat faced dogs who can't breathe. I know. That and was... again, these bulldogs, Sam. Did you know that English bulldogs can't have sex? They can't reproduce themselves. That you have to make them do it themselves. You have to take your hand and like pump for them, or or just artificially inseminate the women. <laughs> Quit playing God. Let's get rid of the English Bulldogs. Thank you for asking, Bob. The GI Jake Show coming up next. Stay locked in on Fan Run Radio.